This is Pastor Matt Harmless with the sermon audio from uh, May 9th, 2021, uh, preaching again out of the gospel according to Luke, and this is finishing up chapter 5. Um, some challenging things in here in this last little bit, especially as it relates to how Jesus might relate to you. Let me do some review. I'm going to pray, do a little bit of review. I've been trying to figure out how much review I want to do. I, need, I think every week we need to have a little bit of a summary of where we're going. Because I think that, remember, we're learning who is Jesus through this. And we're re-encountering him. And, and that, that whole concept really comes to a, a, almost to a point today. It's not to the point, but it comes to a, a verging of, uh, an, or a diverging and some opposition it really gets to this little here today, okay, with a group that lived during Jesus' time. So let me pray, and then we'll do a little bit of review. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. Again, I thank you for your word. I thank you again for Luke. I ask now that you would, as I venture into this passage of Scripture, God, I ask that it would be of you and of your word, of your truth, God, I pray that you would guide and direct the, the very words that I say this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so very briefly, a little bit of review. We've had a series of introductions to Jesus. Back in chapter 4, we had this rejection in his hometown. See, all these things are like little pieces to puzzle, right? It's, it's painting a picture of who is Jesus. Rejection in his hometown. And then we have, at the end of chapter 4, we also had this demon-possessed man freed. There's this spiritual element. And then there's a summary statement of there's some preaching and, and healing that Jesus was doing. And he was gathering some popularity in connection with that. In chapter 5, the introductions continue. And remember, Luke is wanting you to know who Jesus is. And so in the midst of all those healings and all those preachings, he hones in on different ones to help us think about who is Jesus. And I imagine for him, doing his research, there were times where he heard this story, heard this, and he goes, oh man, that one tells me something about Jesus. i gotta, I got to make sure I include this one and so we get some of these things in chapter 5 start to unfold you get his first disciples in this catch of fish right and you have Simon Peter and this miraculous catch of fish you have uh, as chapter 5 continues uh, and and I'm not sure I didn't read this anywhere but I think that we see some hints of Jesus's three roles have you ever heard the, the phrase before prophet priest and king that Jesus fills these roles. I want you to think about this. I, I thought about this this weekend. I, I think we see hints of it. Uh, with the healing of the leper. From being unclean to being pronounced clean. Don't you get a hint of that priestly role. And greater than any priest. We see this paralytic person. Restored. You see that prophetic role of, of this recognition of sin. But Jesus goes a step further. And he doesn't just say you're a sinner. You need to repent. He says you're forgiven. Right? You see, then to back that up, he then heals this paralytic man. You see then this, I think, possibly a king role as he takes this outcast tax collector and invites him into the kingdom. These are the type of people that I'm inviting in. But we start to see this first hint of opposition for Jesus. That might seem odd to you, Okay? Thinking about Jesus being opposed. Because I don't know about you, but I've thought before, like if Jesus was here, everybody would just love him. <laughs> That's not reality. Then that is not what happened. 
I think about that sometimes in, in my way of attempting to be a Christian. Have you ever thought this? Like, if I could just do this Christian thing perfectly, like, people would love Jesus. I'd be able to present it just right, and they would know how loving and caring I am about what Jesus is doing. They would, they would get that. Gl- Maybe you're like, no, I never thought that. I have thought that. I have thought that in the, not, not here, but somewhere back here. Like when, when I was trying to t- introduce Jesus to somebody and they were like rejecting of it, I thought, man, maybe I'm just not presenting it right. And then I would try to come at it from a different angle. Because I, I kept thinking, man, if I do it just right, but that's not the case. Because even Jesus, who obviously presented himself correctly, did that. Did everybody just go, we love you? In fact, they went, some of them, we hate you and we're going to kill you. There's one particular group that you hear about all the time in the New Testament, the Pharisees, right? Heard about those guys? We've heard, we've, we've heard hints of them before, but they're going to be, in, in this story, how Jesus' story on this earth unfolds, they're going to play the role of the chief instigators that reject him, and it leads to his crucifixion, Okay. In a very earthly sense, just think about the, the, the players in the parts. They're the ones. And so you're going to hear a lot about them. Okay? And so it's important to understand these guys. And we're going to get more hints about who they are as we progress. But we're going to hear the, we heard them last week. What was the, in fact, let me ask you this. What was the opposition last week? The, it was our first opposition to what Jesus was doing. Um, r- real one. But anybody remember the opposition? I'll give you a hint. Levi had just been called. Levi then says, I love Jesus. I want to get all my friends to know Jesus. I'm having a feast. And he invites everybody with the guest of honor, Jesus. And does everybody just go, that's awesome. No. Somebody speaks up, and it's the Pharisees. What, what, you remember, what was their opposition? Yeah. Like, rule. Jesus, you can't hang out with those kinds of people. The tax collectors, the sinners. And so this is the first real opposition. And so what I'm going to read today follows from that. I don't think, now, as you read Luke, you might think this was like the same event. But as you read the other Gospels, you get the idea that there may be some time passed and maybe this is just a separate thing. But Luke, sometimes, the way he writes, he kind of condenses things, right? Because he's trying to get to a point. And so he it's a literary condensation. So he jumps from that last story to this one. So this was probably not at the same event, okay? But let's jump into this story. And I want you to be thinking about the Pharisees and their role. And I want you to think about what happens next. I will say one more thing as part of introduction before I dig in. I'm going to be going along. And, and we're going to be talking about some things here. And you're going to hear, that you're going to, okay, okay, okay. But then this story not because of me, but because of what Jesus does, is going to take a shift right in the middle of it, okay? And you're going to be thinking, we're talking about this the whole time, then all of a sudden he just takes a turn. As he, and you're going to find he actually does this quite a bit in his ministry, especially with the Pharisees. Oh, we're going to talk about this, let's talk about this, let's talk about this. What about this? Boop. Okay? And you're going to see that playing out. So let's talk about this. So Luke chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 33. And it says, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, your disciples, they do something different. 
they eat and drink. Now, so the criticisms are starting to continue. Last time the criticism was about this outreach, evangelism idea, but this one's more about discipleship. Your disciples, your followers, not just those people, not, okay, fine, Jesus, but I, I picture them maybe going back, regrouping, and coming back at them again. Your disciples are eating and drinking. So sometimes when you're not out there, fellow, like interacting with the tax collectors and the sinners, sometimes when you're just with your disciples, you're eating and drinking. You're, you're having a great time. There's an assumption, the way this is phrased, and you may have picked up on it, there's an assumption there that somebody's doing something better than somebody else. From this perspective, the fasting, in fact, I, I can't say it, with, I can't talk about it without verging into that type of the fasting and the praying, and you're eating and drinking. And which one, can you tell which one they feel like is the better choice? Which one do they think is better? Okay, you have to say it the right way. The fasting, the praying, the fasting, the praying, you're better. Jesus, our disciples, even John's disciples fast and pray. But yours are eating and drinking. What's up with that, Jesus? What's going on? You may have picked up on it, but there's actually something to that. The way that it's, the, the grammar of it, and I can't tell you this from my own experience, that I don't fully understand this Greek grammar, but when you get into the commentary to talk about it, it, this assumed in there that this is better than that. This is better than that. In the case of the Pharisees, it was more, their fasting and praying was more about, and we know this not from this part, but when we look at the other Gospels, you can get hints about what was going on with the Pharisees. In fact, I want to take you to a specific passage of Scripture. The fasting and the praying of the Pharisees contained with it not just the fact that they were fasting and praying, but there was something else that they, they brought into this picture. Okay, so this is going to play a role in how they're thinking about it. Ma uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, this is Jesus speaking. He says, when you fast, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, when you fast, right? Or actually, I'm sorry, he's, not talking, to, he's talking to his, his disciples, okay? He says, when you fast, disciples... Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite, I know you're familiar with that, but it just meant actor, okay? A show. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash this, anoint your head, that's like put some, put some gel in, <laughs> right? Aquanets, right? Anoint your head, wash your face, right? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a few things I pick up from this right off the bat. Jesus' disciples, if they ever did fast, which we know obviously from this, I'm going to tell you right now, if there's nothing else you learn from this, think about this. Was Jesus opposed to all fasting? Clearly not. In fact, if Jesus' disciples were fasting, would anybody else have known that they were? According to this, no. In this, we learn what fasting was for the Pharisees. We also learn what fasting ought to be and what it ought to look like. But we learn that Jesus doesn't oppose all fasting. What Jesus rejects across the board is a fasting that was about uh, a religious 
earning some merit, right? Doing these religious things, and this is one for them, doing these religious things so people get to know that you're religious, right? Now, there's a lot of ways this can look. In our world, it looks a little bit different. I think that one of the ways, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's there's a little catchphrase going around, and I think most of you are going to recognize it. There's a little catchphrase going around that applies out there, but I think it also can apply to Christians. It's, what do we call it, virtue signaling? Right? And it depends on what your virtue is. And there's some Christians that they virtue signal just like the rest of the world does. There's lots of ways that you can show, oh, I'm good and you're bad. (laughs) Isn't there? There's a lot of ways you can do that. Now, in Jesus' day, one of the ways that that was done was through fasting. And so you can picture these Pharisees, what they did many times. They would have, in fact, there was times where fasting was commanded. We're leading up to this feast. We're leading up to this thing. You ought to be fasting and you ought to be praying. What did it look like for them? Mm. I'm sorry, don't share your joyous news with me. I'm in the moment of, in the middle of fasting and praying. Oh, This is what it looked like for many of them. Now, this is going to be important as we progress, but I want you to hear Jesus' response to this. Jesus is going to start off by answering why. That's the first question we're going to ask. Why? Why Why would they be doing this? Now, we obviously know from Matthew there's, there's other things at play. But in this case, this is what we're looking at today is Luke. Why were his disciples feasting instead of fasting? Listen to Jesus's response jesus said to them these people asking this question can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them can you do that it's a rhetorical question no one of the ways according to rabbinical writings from this time period one of the ways this is how weddings quite often happened um a marriage would many times start contractually you see hints of this with mary who wasn't with Joseph yet. We, what, what is the Bible that we call her like in the old King James? Betrothed. That wasn't just an engagement. She was in many terms already married. But hadn't consummated that yet. And what would happen many times is this had been arranged. They were married. But no consummation. And what would happen is many times the husband would then go off to prepare. Which is going to sound very interesting to what the life we're in right now. He would go off to prepare a place for his bride. Get the house ready, get it ready to go, the job, the, 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 the rooms, the roof, the, all the things involved. He would say, I'm going to go and get this ready. Kind of sounds familiar to something, doesn't it? I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come and get it. But then the, the husband would then come back, right? Now, this middle time while he was away preparing was a time of potential fasting. But when the, when the groom came back to get the bride for the The ceremony, that was not to be a time of fasting. In fact, uh, all in attendance, this comes from a guy named William Barclay, but uh, um, quoted by a couple, actually a couple of the commentaries. All in attendance on the bridegroom were relieved of, uh, are relieved of all religious observances which would lessen their joy. So any type of, anything that might make you less joyful, get rid of that, right? 
any part that would make, that's what, that's what the, these rabbinical writings. So, so the idea at this time was when, when the groom came back before the ceremony, and like when they're like, okay, now, now they're doing the part where they're like setting up the little, what do you call the little thing? And they put the, we, we, we put the vines around it and stuff. I don't know. You do vines and berries on everything. But like the little, right, we do the little thing and we start making the ceremony. And we're, getting, we're getting all the stuff there. We're getting the feast ready for the actual ceremony, right? When we get to this point, According to them, they're like, no fasting. In fact, you come in here, try to fast, we're going to boot you out because we're going to feast right now. Okay? Good times all around. We're going to have some good times. We're going to have some noodle salad. We're going to have, okay, I don't think they had noodle salad back then. But we're going to have good times eating, drinking, be merry. This is what it's about. Don't come in here looking down or gloomy. This is a, a celebration. This is what is going on. So when Jesus asked this question, all in attendance on the bridegroom are relieved of all religious observances. Any, any religious observances that might make you less joyful? No. Now think about what he's saying here. Why are my disciples celebrating? And he's going to say this a little bit more clearly. Why are my disciples celebrating? Because I'm the bridegroom and I'm here. All throughout. The Old Testament, I've been saying, I'm, I'm coming. And there's been prophets saying, he's coming to get his bride. We're talking about the hero stories today. My favorite phrase I've picked up on in the last year is this phrase, kill the dragon, get the girl. That, that captures Jesus. Kill the dragon. What did he do on the cross? He might bruise your head, but you're right. Or he might bruise your heel, but you're going to crush his head. What did Jesus do? He killed the dragon on the cross, and then what does he get? The the girl, right? The bride of Christ is now his. His betrothed is now his. Kill the dragon, get the girl. I think my wife was hitting on something this morning. One of the reasons why we love those hero stories is because it's written into reality. There's a redemptive plan, and Christ is working it out. The prince is coming for his bride. And then he came, and he killed the dragon. And Jesus says, why in the world would my disciples, this is, salvation has come. They ought not to be walking around gloomy. This is this time of celebration. The Savior has come. He goes on. Statement's not over yet. He says this. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now, we're, we're building here. There's something that happens in this. Now, and you may already be feeling there, there's a point of confusion in my mind. I don't know if confusion is the right word, but there's a, there's a slight disconnect. I'm going to get to that in just a second. You may already be feeling it. The days will come. Now, now Luke calls it the days. The other gospel writers, when they talk about this, they call it the day, as in a time is coming, okay, when the bridegroom is taken away. Let me share a quote here. Jesus was, was referring specifically to his death. The word for taken away, that's translated taken away, indicates an act of violence. Thank you, Philip Ryken, for sharing this, because I think this is amazing. 
This was the first hint Jesus gave that he would suffer a violent removal by death. It means that his disciples would not feast forever. The time would come for them to fast. That's what he says. So here comes the question. What are we in right now? Now, this is a tough one. Don't, don't skim over it too, too, too quickly. I don't want you to just go, oh, well, it's obviously this. Because I guarantee there's somebody else in the room going, no, it's obviously this. What is it? Feast or fast? Yes. No, no, no. Yes. A- ask me the question. You say, is it a time to feast or fast? Yes. Oh, but we just said twice this morning, Jesus is here with us. He's come. So which is it? See, look, in the same mother and daughter, (laughs) fast and feast. What does that say about personality? (laughs) Oh, you agree with it? Oh, you're playing. Okay, okay, okay. You can agree with me. This is a good, this is a valid question. I'm going to tell you, as I was studying this, like at the beginning of the week, I was like, I don't know. I'm sure I'll get to that later. I don't know if you noticed. I don't have a lot of experience with fasting. Shh, don't you people say. (laughs) Quiet. I don't know a lot about it. Shh. I do think that I should look into it. We, we live in a time that theologians have, have coined the phrase, the already and not yet. In many ways, it's still, it's a, we're, we're in a time of feasting because Jesus has come. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that when he went to prepare a place, as much as we can capture that and go, well, I guess we should be in a time of fasting. That is true. But it's also true that he's here. He's come. We live in this weird time. And that's why theologians have called it the already and not yet. Because there's, there's aspects where you can go, he's not here and we're waiting for him. And we, we capture those pictures and, and he's gone to prepare a place. But then there's other times where he's like, he, he's come. And so we live in a time of the already and not yet. And so we're not, we live in a time where if somebody says, should we be feasting or should we be fasting, the answer has to be yes. Now, let me, non-jokingly, let me throw in there. I, I genuinely have not. Now, I've, I've done some fasting for, like, I've been in some Biggest Loser competitions, and I'm telling you right now, I win them. But then I prepare for the next one. As, <laughs> I mean, I'm like... And I've, I've dropped 45 pounds before for a competition to win. And then I, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Royal Donut the day after I win. I, it's terrible health, really. It's terrible. But I haven't invested much. And I'm, I'm just being honest with you here. I have not invested much of my thought into understanding how not fasting for, for losing weight. Because I'm telling you, I can do it. I can, go, I can go whole days without eating if I know there's a cash prize at the end. That's not what this is. And, and I'm telling you right now, this has convicted me to invest in understanding 
what does this fasting in connection with praying, what does that look like? So I'm going to tell you right now, I, I bought a book. That's what we do as Christians, right? Like, I need to know more about this. I'm buying a book. <laughs> Got a book. Um, but then starting to do some more study. Lord, what, what does this mean? What does this look like? And how ought this to be filtered into my life? Because I'm telling you right now, in our already not yet, I, I don't have a problem. I'm not ashamed that I've enjoyed the feasting side. Seriously, guys, no joking. You don't have to agree with that. No amens. But in a real way, I, I, we, we've enjoyed an abundance of, of freedom in this country and things that we've celebrated together. But there's times that may require us to understand deeply fasting and prayer. What does Jesus say at different times with his disciples when they had challenging things they were trying to do? He said, these these, thing, these things only come about through fasting and prayer. There, 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 there's, I think there's time for that. I think, I think, and I use the word I think because I'm telling you this is what I think. I even stepped away from the pulpit an inch, so you know I'm, I, I, I'm not saying this is what God's, I'm telling you, this is what I think. Is I, I'm, I'm getting hints of what I believe is coming for us. I think that we're going to need to be the kind of people that, man, when we feast, let's feast. Right? When we have times where we can sneak into this building and feast, let's feast and enjoy and be thankful that Christ has come. But there's also times in the, that's the already, but that we're also going to have to understand and know the not yet. Because as much as Christ does reign, we also know the reality that in ways he doesn't yet to its fullest in this world. And so, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but now, do you remember I warned you, I said, I said, we're going to seem like we're talking about this, so you may be thinking, we're talking about fasting. I think that's a side issue, because Jesus is getting ready to take a turn on these Pharisees, okay? Because the Pharisees represent a picture of the opposition, but also of what an understanding of the word of God looks like. So Jesus is about to take a turn. Yeah, we can talk about this feasting, fasting thing, guys, but, but and he's going to do, do this right now. So I'm going to have to do that too because that's what the text does. So let's take a turn here. This is going to shift gears. And I will tell you right now, the next thing that happens might feel a little uncomfortable for some of you in this room for different reasons. Okay? Jesus shifts into three parables. Luke calls them parables. For the context, he gears it towards the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the, the keepers of the law, and they, they, they're the ones that dug into the scribes, the Pharisees. They, they dug into these things. And Jesus' entrance into their world, obviously something must be off because they're not going... Just what we've been waiting for. The fact that they're opposing it means that as much as they were the keepers of the law, they were missing something essential because if they were capturing it accurately, they would have met Jesus and gone, this is what we were looking for. So something's off. And so what Jesus does next is he, he brings in these three stories to really address, guys, how are you interacting with the Messiah? 
standing in front of you. Now, if I presented this just the way it is, I think that we would have a bit of an issue because I don't think we have a whole lot of Pharisees in here. Anybody like grown up like, yeah, I went to the rabbinical school, Pharisee, you know, this. And I don't think we have any actual Pharisees in here. So I got to thinking about, okay, so where, where is, let me think about the idea. So see, I, I'd like to do this step back, okay? So I'm going to present a little bit of Matt here, some just observance. I'd like to observe and, 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 and evaluate, okay? So let, I, I, as I was evaluating this, I thought, we don't have Pharisees, but, but how might Jesus impact other groups? And so let, let's take a side for a minute. I'm not talking about the, I know, the, the, the atheists, okay, I, you know. Okay, so there's people who are atheists, but that, that's a different story. We're not talking about that right now. I'm not talking about other religions right now. Okay, so that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm talking about people that are aware of the Bible, the keepers of the word of God. In, and I'm not, I'm not talking about every place in the world because there's different situations in different countries. I'm talking about right in America, the, the quote unquote keepers of the word of God, the ones that are the, the, the people that have the, their Bibles and they read or don't read but they're the ones that are aware of it and i couldn't narrow it down to one group i I came up with three i think there's three different categories and these are my categories they're imperfect but they're three categories i think of, of across our culture the the keepers of the word of god the way the pharisees were then they really had they had different they had the pharisees they had the sadducees they had different groups too but let's talk about in america what we don't have Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and the, the zealots. We don't, have, we don't have that. We got something else. And I, I got three categories, okay? Category one. Some of you are very familiar with this one. Um, I'm going to call it churchianity. I don't know who coined that phrase, but I love it, the title, churchianity. Who's heard the word churchianity before? A couple of you? Okay. Churchianity. It, it's, this one is not that different than the Pharisees. These are the ones that have embraced the going to church. I mean, these are the kind of people that they're there every Sunday, religiously. No pun, right? Reli- I mean, they are there every Sunday. They're giving. They, they, they look, in many ways, pretty astounding. And they're doing all the right things, so to speak. With a little, I know, I know, you guys are a step ahead of me. You're like, yeah, but with a little bit of, I, I, okay, I know. I'm just saying, Generally speaking, for the most part, you, you could ask them Bible questions. They know the answers. They're the ones that can do the sword drills. Some of you don't know what that is, but they're like, you know, if somebody says, turn to Matthew, they're like, got it. And look at my markings in here. I wrote in it and underlined. Oh, I knew you were going to bring that one up. I've got it underlined already. I beat you to it, Matt. Right? Churchianity. Outward displays many times we know that. But I don't think that's, 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 I think if you, if you were to go back to when I was a kid in church, this would have been one of the main points of contention and the main points that we would have to really focus on. But I don't see that one as much as it used to be, okay? So let me introduce you to two other groups. You got the churchianity group. There's another, another faction, okay? Um, I apologize for the title. Um, this next fashion I'm going to call uh, Jesus and the Technicolor Spirit. <laughs> okay? You've heard of uh, Joseph and the Technicolor uh, Dreamcoat. It used to be an old musical. Uh, the, the Jesus and the Technicolor Spirit. Okay, now let me just... This was tricky to talk about. People who believe in Jesus, 
and the technicolor spirit can be a little touchy. I'm just going to tell you right now, a little sensitive. Okay? Um, they invented cancel culture before cancel, cancel culture was here. They like to write off those who disagree. Okay? Um, though they talk a lot about the need for unity, which figure that one out. I can't figure that They love talking about the unity. The church ought to be unified. And then they're like, you disagree with me? I'm sorry. You're not part of it. <laughs> okay. Now, some of you know. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Good. Okay. It's okay. You might fit one of these other ones. Um, some, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes there's lots of displays of emotion in this group. Okay. They're the, they're the ones that might lean more into the feast than the fast. And, and like, if the spirits are moving, they're, I mean, woo! Okay? So not all the time, though. Sometimes there's lots of naming and claiming. Whoop. I didn't do that wrong. Um, they, by the, <laughs> they would find meaning in that. I've known people that if the pen rolled off the pulpit, they'd go, <gasps> What does that mean? You know, that's, that's the spirit. They, they read into everything. I actually didn't mean to do that, but that's, that's, that's the kind of thing. I see this a lot with the, the Lone Ranger Christian. There's a lot of Lone Ranger Christians right now. There's a lot of Lone Ranger Christians in the world right now that are attending the Church of YouTube. And man, they, 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 you know, the problem with the Church of YouTube is you can find exactly the preacher that's saying exactly what you want them to say at exactly the right time. And I think the Bible calls that uh, they're seeking out preachers with, with itching ears, right? They've got itching ears and they're finding out. And I'm telling you, right, there's so many right now that would call themselves Christians. But the, and so this, this category, tech, Jesus in the Technicolor Spirit, this is a, this is a broad category. Because I'm telling you what, what the, the only consistent thing in this category is nobody's consistent. I mean, and then, and then you tend to find people find their own little niche. I'm going to give you some examples. I've had people that um, in this little niche, um, which sometimes these people go to church, but sometimes they go to lots of churches, <laughs> okay, um, besides the church of YouTube. Um, lots of little tangents of faith in here. I've met people before that, and it's always, there's always a thing, the thing. They've always found the thing. I've met people before that the thing, the thing, was kosher eating. And that's what Christians really are missing out on. Like, the coat we should be eating. Forget the fact that the Bible says that, that I mean, the, the, clearly, Jesus says, no, it's all good now. Besides the fact that the Bible, no, but they've, they've honed in on, right? I've met people before that are convinced that if you really want to understand the world around us today, you got to know that Baal is still active. You guys are looking at me like, what? No, I'm telling you, I've met people. That, that, that's what they think. Remember Baal in the Old Testament? He's still here. He has a different name, but I'm telling you, it's the same demon that's infiltrated. I've met people that they're convinced that there's, a, there's seven families that trace back. Now, those are interesting stuff. I love watching that stuff on YouTube, too. That's interesting. It's weird. I, I've met people. Uh, I'm going to go way over here now for this one. They're convinced that everything is a conspiracy, and we're actually living on a flat earth, and the government is hiding it from us. And then they tie it back into the Bible, right? Now, I, I mean, I could, I could go on. Just in my own experience, all the different, there, there's all these and this is one of the problems with the Lone Ranger Christian. 
I get, I get that there is some truth to the idea that all I need is the Bible and God. I get that. I get that concept. But I'm telling you right now, if you reject the church, you're rejecting Jesus. If you reject the church, you're rejecting Jesus. Because this is his church, this is his bride. I'll tell you right now, if you don't understand that, try to reject my wife and think that you're my friend. I might lose some of my Christianity. <laughs> That's my bride. If you came around to me and go, Matt, man, I just love what you're doing, I love what you're saying, but I can't stand that charity. I, I might punch you in the face. I would ask forgiveness afterwards, but but that's what people do. They go, they go, and, and, and in this Jesus in the Technicolor Spirit, you get a lot of people that they love to criticize the church. They, 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 they quote the church. You know, the church is this, and the church is that, and the church is this, and the church is this. And I'm like, oh, there's, okay, there's so many things. I'm getting way off my notes right now. There's so many problems with that, but I'll, I'll keep it at that idea that the, the church is the bride of Christ, and to reject the church is to reject Christ. You cannot read the Bible and understand it and get around that. But there are some today that have fallen down that path. Let me give you my third group because I could talk about that group for a long time. Because it, honestly, there's just so it's like a multifaceted conglomeration of craziness. I think. Let me say one more thing. I think this is why. You have to understand that one of the things that God does, God specifically says, and there is found a couple places, but I'm going to mention one in Ephesians. God specifically says, I'm going to give some gifts to my bride, the church. And then when he goes and he lists those gifts, you know what he says? Pastors. Teachers. Right? He starts going down roles that people will play. So when you get somebody that rejects the church and just goes out there, that's, that's dangerous. In fact, all those roles you will see are shepherding type roles. God has placed them there for a purpose. It does not mean that I'm up here and because I'm the pastor, I'm smarter than all of you. That is not at all what it means. I'm like you, trusting God that he's doing something here. And so each and every week, I'm also trusting that the moment that I go down one of those crazy tangents, that God will remove me from here. And I trust that you as a people would recognize that and help make it happen. Or help me to repent. Because you do not want a preacher that's going to get up and tell you his opinion and what he thinks and to have that... No, no. That's, and that, one of the things I do personally to keep that from happening is, I, what do I do each and every week? Am I preaching a Mother's Day sermon today? No, you know why? I love moms. I wouldn't be here without one. But I want to preach the word in season, out of season, always ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so I stick to this because I don't, I know I'm kind of dumb. And if I get out doing my own thing, I'm going to miss it. But if I stick to this, that's safe. And I want to preach his word and what it says. Okay. Let me give you the third type. <clears throat> a little ditty. And I just looked at the clock, so I'm going to try to go fast. Um, this is what happens when I get off my notes. Third group. They love this little ditty. If it rains or if it freezes, all I need is plastic Jesus. 
right? If it rains or if it freezes, all it, right? And, right? You know what this group does? This group is Christian by default in our country. They're not really, by the way. But they're, they're, they, they call themselves Christian because they're not a Muslim. Or they call themselves Christian because they're not an atheist. They, they know almost nothing about Jesus and what his word says. They know some catchphrases. Only God will judge. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, man. Oh, something goes bad. Where did I put Jesus? There he is. Plastic Jesus. Pop him out when I need him. Hope things are going better. See you later. <laughs> All right. Because I, I need to hurry. Jesus then, after this, Jesus shifts gears. He's, if you don't know, he's not talking about fasting anymore. He's talking about the Pharisees. If they want to talk about the superficial stuff. And Jesus is going to bring it in. How do you respond? He told them a parable. It says a parable, but there's three little parts, three little parables tied into one. First one is, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. I want you to imagine going to, uh, where do you guys shop? Just go to Target. There's not one around town. You go to Target. Get you, no, not Target. Walmart, no, not Walmart, TJ Maxx. Ooh, they got some good deals. Go to TJ Maxx, find yourself. I know how some of you shop. Like, you know, you find it. It's the perfect thing I was looking for. Imagine taking it home, laying it out. Scissors. (laughs) You just want this patch here, put it on this old sweatshirt. Now, some of you are going, Man, that might look pretty cool. Okay, you're missing the point. You've ruined the new piece of clothing that you just bought, right? And this doesn't. Okay, there's. Okay, maybe maybe there's. I know I know a lot of people around here like like redoing stuff, make it look all cool. But I'm telling you what, it it, it still looks like you patched something on, okay? And this is what Jesus is talking about. The key here is understanding that when you do this patchwork Jesus and take this piece here and you I like this part and I I might keep this little thing here bottom line is if you don't get anything else from this illustration you don't have Jesus anymore that new shirt you bought you don't have that shirt anymore stop focusing on what you made this cool thing that you love bottom line is you don't have this and this is precisely what people do with Jesus in our world take this keep this I like this part here I don't think this is how it used to be I think uh, politicians do this we're talking about this this morning politicians love to do this part right and back up the killing of babies and, and then bring in something about God and prayer You, you, you just chopped up who Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would never stand for the can, killing of babies. But this is what people do. There, there's another, there's a dangerous aspect of this. I see this besides politicians and public figures. I've seen this so much lately. And in, 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 in Charity and I have talked about this way before this. We're talking about one of the most 
dangerous things that I've noticed right now. It used to be when somebody went off into their own belief system, I think especially with uh, the LGBTQ, anything that has to do with you know, being a homosexual, all those things over here. Like they, they, they knew they were leaving this and going over here. But, but what I've encountered more and more now is you see people going over here and saying, no, I'm still this. I literally watched a video clip this week of a drag queen preacher. Yeah. How did that person do that? Well, I'll tell you, they didn't keep Jesus. What did they do? Snip. I think the pieces are getting smaller, too. You know, <laughs> this, this little part right here, I'll just keep that. How is it? Patchwork. This is what Jesus is talking about. No, nobody does this. If you do, this is what happens. And you don't keep Jesus. If you take the parts, you don't get Jesus. Listen to this next one. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. That's how they used to hold wine, wineskins, right? Um, if he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And so here you have this picture. Nothing about what Jesus is talking about again. He's talking to these Pharisees. This is another thing that we see people even today doing. Now, the illustration, what's he actually saying? Well, new wine, though it was wine, it started to ferment, but it would continue to ferment as it was in this wine. And so if you had a new wine skin, it could expand with the new wine. Okay? So it would stay good. But an old wine skin, it had done all the stretching it could. And you put the new wine in it, and as it began to ferment and expand, it would bust. Philip Ryken talked about this when he said some people would go a little bit further. They'd be willing to drink in what Jesus said, but they would try to keep it within the confines of their own way of life, their old way of life. And without, because I'm trying to go a little bit faster, without really thinking about let me get to the point here. If you do that, you're going to burst. It's, it's, if you start bringing in Jesus, I've seen this, I've seen this myself. I've been here preaching here for almost 12 years now. And I've, we've seen people that have come here and and they, they start taking in Jesus, taking in Jesus. They, they like it. Now there's issues. There's some things that they need to, they haven't really changed that old, they have that same life they have, but they, and sometimes it came because of a problem they had or something they start, but then they start bringing in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, they get to that breaking point. And they can't contain all of who he is. And I've seen people again and again and again at this church. And I'm not even thinking about out there in the world. I'm talking about at this church. Again and again and again. They start taking this in. But what usually happens before it busts is they go, no. And they squirt it all back out. And they're going, I'm going to keep <laughs> this old life I got. Jesus cannot be contained in your life. He will change you he will stretch you in ways you can possibly imagine and if you try to keep that way of living that you've been doing and just keep drinking him in it'll it, you're gonna bust and i say praise the lord that that happens the final one is this one this one i can say fast no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good This statement can be hard to understand because Jesus has been comparing his ministry to new wine, and usually we think that old wine is better. Um, But that's not always true. It really depends on the vintage. I'm not a wine connoisseur. 
but I think it does depend. There can be some old wines that would not be good. The wine that Jesus is offering is not grape juice. It's still wine, but it's fresh and good. Every time in scriptures that wine is mentioned, this new wine is always about exuberant joy. It's the, it's the good stuff. Sadly, some people are not even willing to try it. Sadly, some people, they, they've, this, I, I can summarize this reality. Whether you're in churchianity or if you're in uh, Jesus in the, the, the technicolor spirit category or you got plastic Jesus, this is the group that goes like this. Now nah, I'm good. And these are the ones that when you start talking about Jesus, talking about church, any aspect of this, go, you can see them. The eyes start to glaze over. better you know good talk good talk but hey i'll catch you tomorrow see you later i'm good (laughs) is what they're saying there are some that are completely satisfied with the old wine that they got old whatever that old crappy wine is they're drinking they're fine with it they're fine some of this may have hit you a little bit closer than others Some of you have been trying to patch in Jesus and you've lost Jesus in the process. Some of you have been trying to drink up Jesus and you're about ready to burst. Your old life cannot take it. Don't dump him out. Ask God to give you a new life. To live the new life, this expansive life. Some of you are like, no, I'm good. No. But also take this out as you go out. You're going to encounter people that as you present Jesus are going to respond these ways. I'm going to close with a prayer because Christ always has the wisdom to know how to bring these things back in. I mean, do you see what he did in this conversation? He wasn't fasting. He was talking about, was it? They, that's what they wanted to talk about. Jesus is a master at taking those things and with great craft, turning it back into where are you at? I want to close in prayer that God will give us the wisdom today and this week to be conversationalists like Jesus that can take whatever comes. They're going to want to talk about things. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And can you turn that to how are you responding to Jesus? Heavenly Father, I want to close now today asking that in the midst of what has been presented here this morning, that your word will reign supreme in my heart and everyone else's hearts. Lord, I pray that whatever part of Matt snuck in, that you would eliminate that, but keep the truth of your word front and center. God, I pray that you would be with those in this room that have been trying to patch in Jesus or just trying to drink him in, but unwilling to change their old life, or they're just sitting there going, I'm good. God, I ask that you would, well, I ask you to burst her bubble and Lord I pray that in the end there wouldn't be a person in this room that would walk out of here today that doesn't know who you are and hasn't put all of their faith hope and trust in you and they just want to know you more I pray that you would work that in our hearts in Christ's name amen